Do you get your bagels toasted? I do it and I get it scooped out. What do you mean? You can ask them to scoop out because I'm trying to cut the carb. <laughs> I think stuff knows what I'm talking about. But I it was do. my ex. My ex is the one that sounds like, if you want to save on carbs, you ask them to scoop it. I'm like, what do you mean? They literally just scoop out the, they scoop out the bread of the they bagel? Out the so inside. Is it a crust? No, yeah, it's like the outer part. And then they just fill it in. I have never even heard of that. Yo, try it, man. You've never been on a low-carb diet, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on a low-carb diet my whole life. It's not working. <laughs> Welcome to the worst Asian podcast, where a couple of Asian American millennials give you our shitty opinions on all things Asian. My name is Linji, and I'm here with my co-host Ben. Hello, sir. How are you? I almost forgot my name there for a second. I think you almost forgot mine too. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to the intro, and I was like, I was halfway through. I was like, I forgot my name. <laughs> oh God! Oh, it's good seeing you, man. <laughs> it's probably because I haven't had any food yet. It's really early, and I haven't had any calories in me. Mm, speaking of calories, oh, there you go. Speaking of calories, um, we've got a guest on today. Back when we were college kids and very poor, we used to go to Eater.com a lot to make all of our food decisions. Our hardest life decisions. Hardest life say. decisions. Limited budget. I'm super excited for our guest today. If you consume calories or you eat food in general, unless you live on some homestead or you're a self-sufficient farmer in the middle of nowhere, then you have heard of Eater.com. Mm -hmm. Joining us on the podcast today is the editor-in-chief and top eater over at Eater.com. Right. Let's give it up for Stephanie Wu. Woo! Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us today. For you, Stephanie, do you want to give, give a quick intro to our listeners on who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I'm Stephanie. I'm the editor-in-chief of Eater. Um, just by quick introduction, I grew up in Taipei. I might be biased, but one of the best food cities in the world. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to New York for college, which I think even if I weren't biased, I would say is one of the best <laughs> food cities in the world. So somewhat luckily, I have had my fair share of living in cities with an, with an abundance of choice, with, you know, more food cultures than I could ever count and have always, you know, since I guess I was old enough to understand the idea and the power behind being able to choose what you're eating and the, pri and the privilege, of course, been incredibly lucky to live in these food destinations. Um, I've worked in media for more than a decade. I've hopped around between print journalism, print magazines, digital media startups. Um, I've always done lifestyle. My main focuses in my career have been food and travel, which of course are two incredible topics to be able to specialize in. I am, you know, not surprisingly the go-to for my friends when they are looking for a restaurant yeah. or they're looking for a destination to go to for fun or for their honeymoon. And, you know, I would say this was true even before I took the job at Eater. So going to Eater felt like a really natural fit for me in that I've been a reader certainly for as long as I've lived in New York City. Um, I am absolutely in the target audience of someone who cares deeply about what I eat, where I eat. I know that all of these decisions that we make on a daily basis are very defining in terms of who we are. And I'm absolutely, you know, when the situation is right, the type of person mm. who will never waste a meal. And in <laughs> fact, will probably eat more than I should because I want to try everything. And I have such enthusiasm about understanding cultures 
through food and being、mm. able to then share that back to others. And so, I also want to touch on what you were saying, Lingji, about kind of like relying on eater for recommendations. And I, I think that's so true. Like we've been so trusted for so long, but the idea of You know, it's more and more important to to make a good decision, and having decision paralysis is something I'm so aware of. I don't know if you remember this website, this blog that used to be around in the、mm-hmm. I want to say like mid 2000s called Midtown Lunch. <laughs> I was obsessed. Not with off、it. the top of my head, yeah. They're gonna say Zango. It was essentially a a blogger who、uh-huh. collected every single food cart in Midtown. And would post about kind of like where it was, what its menu was, how much things were, and this was kind of almost like before Twitter and before、yeah. you could really like follow these establishments. And you know, as a unpaid intern in Midtown, <laughs> I, I used this resource as my bible, and I always wanted to try different food carts. This was back when you could easily get lunch in Midtown for under eight dollars. Oh, the days, the days! And you're just yeah, kind yeah. of like scrolling on this like crazy populated Google map, and I just, I kind of loved that I lived and worked in a place where we had so much choice, but also when you've got hundreds of places in a ten block radius,、yes. it is very hard to choose. It's kind of like when you're on Netflix and you're just scrolling, and you're like,、Man. oh yes. Yeah, you know, let's just, let's just keep scrolling. You know, the funny <laughs> thing about that comparison is Netflix has that button. Have you seen it? It's like, I know so well. like just press the button and it gives you any random show of your choosing based on your history. Yeah, I could not imagine doing that with food. Just imagine there was some kind of button on Uber Eats where it was like,、yeah. give me whatever, surprise me today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the Netflix algorithm works, so I'm happy to let it recommend things. But、I、would you press that button to surprise me? No, <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> I want to know what I'm getting into. There you go. Yeah, because watching something is a commitment. Exactly. I don't、yeah. even like to eat food without like a menu where I know what I'm eating. <laughs> oh, <laughs> going back to that small website. If that happened nowadays, they would be kind of be considered like a foodie influencer, social media kind of person. Right. You give him a TikTok account, you give him a Instagram account, or something,、yes. or like a YouTuber. He could just make that into like a whole、oh, YouTube series. Whole vlog thing. Yeah, you're right. I would follow a Midtown Lunch TikTok. I don't work in Midtown anymore, but you know, I feel、yeah. like there's appeal there. <laughs> We joke about it, but I, I bet you someone is doing that already. Oh yeah, for sure.、Uh, piggybacking on like you know your love for food,、um, does your love for like the excitement did it ever die down, or does it sometimes you're just doing it like it just feels like oh man, this is just work now. Oh, food becomes work. That yeah, must suck. That might be my biggest fear. Yeah, because people <laughs> look forward to a good meal, especially after a long day or something. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'll say that. Having previously been a travel editor, this is something that I did think about a lot in terms of travel as well. Where you're on vacation, you're like, "Ooh, but I'm critiquing every aspect of this hotel and the、mm. service, and you know, was everything smooth? And what if I want to write about this place?" And so I have had lots of experience, you know, trying to separate from my brain what I'm doing for fun, what I'm doing for work, and I think the biggest, the biggest thing is. To mainly accept that that not every meal and ne- not every experience will be perfect, and that's okay. I am the type of person who will have done their research, and so I think my chances <laughs> more often than not are pretty good that I'll, I'll enjoy something. But that doesn't mean I won't, you know, show up in a restaurant in a bad mood one day and be like, "Oh, this was slow," or "Or this、mm. was dirty," or whatever it might be. I'm human, like everyone else.、Um, but I will say, what is You know, one of the my favorite things about Eater is that we have a very large team. 
of people based in cities, in all the cities that we cover. And so, you know, in New York City, which is my home, we have a yeah. team of critics, of writers, of editors, and it is actually in their job description to be out and about eating and trying things and staying on top of what's new and what the dining trends are. And I have this, you know, resource in that I can go to them and say, Hey, have you been here yet? If not, like, I'm happy to be a guinea pig, but you know, what did you love? What should I look out for? Is there a, a strategy for ordering on, on the menu? And so to me, I, I get to maintain that part of dining out for pleasure as opposed to having to review every meal that I eat or having to think about it th- through a work context. So I guess that's the good thing about being the boss is that you can <laughs> pick and choose the parts of the job that you like and that you want to do and, you know, let those who have signed up for the job of dining out every day, dine out every day. You know, I'm not trying to say that's grunt work, but knowing yeah. that you're at the top of the food <laughs> chain where you can have like other people maybe tell you that this particular thing is not as good or you should go for A instead of B, that is a very, very good privilege. It's like, ah, oh, I guess I have to eat this frog raw. Uh, <laughs> sure. But hey, Why that's not? the same privilege eater readers get, right? They read the site to see what our critics liked, what they didn't like, what our reporters are into. And we don't like gatekeep this information. We're pretty open mm-hmm. about our opinions. Right. And I might get early insight because I'm in, you know, the company Slack rooms. But, you know, certainly if we talk about a restaurant long enough or we talk about a certain dish or, you know, a strategy for getting a reservation, we always just say like, put this on the site. People should know. Like there's no reason why we yeah. wouldn't want every our readers to have the same intel we have. I love that you're pretty much the plug, you know, for all things restaurant. Is either trying to expand to, I guess, more the adjacent cultures? Yeah, I would say that. So the makeup of Eater is that we've got 25 city sites across the US, London, and Montreal. And um, and then we have a national team that really looks at nationwide dining trends. Um, they put together our travel packages. They put together our best new restaurants list, which is, you know, countrywide as well. Yeah. And so I think what helps us stand out beyond anything else is that we have these local reporters, writers and editors on the ground who are covering their, you know, local dining scene every single day, but their knowledge also is available to our national team who might say, you know, we see this as a trend in New York and LA, but can we really say it's a trend if it's not also happening in Minneapolis or Detroit or Austin or whatever it might That's be, right? Point. So our when we say we're seeing a trend, it's because we actually see, hear it from people on the ground and we have the authority to say, this isn't just like some, you know, New York or some West Coast thing. This is actually happening. We're getting reports. We're seeing it on the menu. We can track inflation in real time. Like that's one of the things that we have the ability to do that I think most food publications can't. They, they're not both highly authoritative in the local as well as, you know, letting that information build up into the national, the global, the international, however you want to look at it. Um, But the other big part of what our national team does is really focuses on the intersection between um, culture and food. So Mm. that to me is interesting, right? Because I do tend to think of things through (laughs) a food angle. and, And when I see something like, I don't know, reality food shows and other TV shows that are, you know, covering a similar industry. And so I think we really have that authority of being able to say like, hey, here's what's interesting about, you know, this upcoming 
horror comedy film, The Menu, where like fine dining yeah. is presented in a in a scary setting, right? Like here's what we we have to say about food collaborations or the way food is portrayed in some other you know mainstream media that is not necessarily food first. And I think that's a really fun angle that we're able to take and kind of goes further in proving the point that, you know, we're not just a food site. We're a food right. and culture site. Like food touches everything. Can I ask you as a New Yorker, is it fair to say that we have the best pizza? <laughs> <laughs> the pizza question. Yeah. <laughs> At the risk of making my... <laughs> I, know you have to be, I know you have to be politically correct. But you have to be very carefully. You have to tread very carefully. But uh, Ben and I are lifelong New Yorkers. Yes, we have very biased opinions. My thoughts on <laughs> Chicago deep dish pizza. I never had that. Will lose all our fans from that state. I never had. I never had deep dish. Uno's. No, I never. Uno's. I never. Ate. We, we have that no, here. I didn't go with you guys. You never been to Uno's. I, I've, I've known it since we were kids. So no, we never had. I never. I never went with you guys. Okay, you, you brought your girlfriend at your time. Not to say you that invite me. Uno's is. A good representation of authentic. <laughs> that's the best we got. But that's the best we got here. <laughs> I was going to say, at the risk of pissing off my Chicago team <laughs> and our Chicago readers, I do. I am obviously, uh, I wouldn't say biased, but I like know the New York pizza scene much better than I know any other city's pizza scene. And I do think that what New York has in its, in its favor is obviously distinct styles, but also yeah, yes. variety, right? Like, you can get deep dish here. Is it as good as Chicago deep dish? Probably not, but you can get Neapolitan slices. You can get like crispy slices. You can get um, Detroit style, pan pizza, grandma style. Oh, yeah. Like all of those are represented here and they're usually pretty good because you have to be decent to make it in like this pizza town, right? Exactly. And so that we have going for us. <laughs> um, it's the same thing with bagels too. My friend, he's a doctor. He moved to San Fran. He's like, bro... I just want you to like deliver me like a dozen bagels for right now if you can. I, I really miss bagels. I was like, it's not the same. Do you He's get like your that. bagels toasted? I, I, Both of I, you guys. Do you get I, your bagels toasted? I do it and I get it scooped out. What do you mean? You can ask them to scoop out because I'm trying to cut the carb. <laughs> I think Seth knows what I'm talking about. But I it was do. my ex. My ex is the one that sounds like, if you want to save on carbs, you ask them to scoop it. I'm like, what do you mean? They literally just scoop out. The, they scoop out the bread of the bagel? So inside the crust? No, yeah, it's like the outer part. And then they just fill it in pretty much like a hot dog. So I have never even heard of that. Yo, try it, man. You've never been on a low-carb diet, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on a low-carb diet my whole life. It's not working. <laughs> um, I do get my bagels toasted because I think it... Like nine, nine times out of 10, it has been sitting there for a while and needs to just be like revived a little. Like if I'm going to a place <laughs> where I know it's fresh, like, yeah, you don't need to toast my fresh bagel, but to be safe. To um, be safe. I have, I have also like at times had my bagel scooped out, but I will say my hot tip when it comes to bagel sandwiches, because oh. normally I hate a bagel sandwich because you've got everything like coming out of the sides because of yeah. how dense the bread is. So if I'm like at home or honestly more likely at like my com company cafeteria back when my company had a cafeteria or back when I worked <laughs> at a company that had a cafeteria, <laughs> yeah. what I would do is I would scoop out the bread so that the eggs fit in there huh. <laughs> and then you don't have food spilling out the side of your sandwich and you can still have a bagel sandwich that is like somewhat clean enough to eat at your desk. <laughs> I am shocked that I never thought about this life hack or pro food hack, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Because I'm picturing right now the fact that everything does kind of like smear out the side. And whenever. it's just it's just so doughy and big. Yeah. It's just 
And then like it grazes your top of your mouth. You're like, oh man, both so good. But you're like, you just like, you can't contain it. It gets in its wrapper. It's really messy. You got cream cheese everywhere. Yeah, it's just all over your fingers. And like, I stuff mine. I put like, if I can afford it, I'll do the salmon, <laughs> the lettuce, the capers, tomatoes. Box, yeah, and everything. It's not even a bagel. It's literally a sandwich. <laughs> it's like it's like a hero at this point. <laughs> if I learn nothing else from today, I've learned this tip about scooping out the bagel. Both to save on calories and to make room for even more dense calories. <laughs> it's true. There you go. <laughs> the judgment is there though. Like people will really, you know, look at you a certain way if you're like, I scoop out my bagel. I have people looking at me. This guy got scooped out. And I'll look right in their eyes. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I did. What's up? You know, so I don't care. <laughs> um, I don't know how we got onto this whole bagel topic. And, uh, okay, sorry. <laughs> <my bad. laughs> Clearly, I'm not the mo- interviewer slash moderator. That's why Lichie is the one. I just talk. <laughs> We've got short attention spans. But I guess uh, piggybacking on the fact that yes. <laughs> people nowadays have short attention spans. I had this more serious question for you. Either to me is a legacy food blog that still does good long form content. Mm. So for those that can read past a sentence or for those that are looking for more than just a 10 second TikTok video. Look what I found. Like how do you survive in a world where people like my co-host Ben are constantly losing their attention span and it's getting shorter and shorter? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think you're right in that attention spans are shorter and there's more and more things kind of demanding our attention at all time, essentially. So like, you know, you thought you wanted to to read an article, but then you get a breaking news alert about something. You're like, oh, well, I got to go look at that. Or you get an you know, email. Um, but what I think is really important about all the various forms of storytelling that we do is that we really think about how are we telling the story in a way that services the reader? Because I think that's the key, right? You, of course, have your reader who just wants that one sentence, like straightforward. Tell me what's opening. Tell me when, where, and like how to get there and what thumbs to order, up, right? Down. That's all you want. Yeah. You've got your reader who wants to like hear a little bit more about a movie like The Menu, where we can write about what it means to have a, a horror movie centered around fine dining and how yes. the food mm-hmm. came together and, you know, why it's okay to be uncomfortable when you're watching it. And like, we can write three different stories and, and people will read all of those. And then we've got, you know, our, our video program, which produces documentary style short videos about the kind of behind the scenes of the restaurant. And we've got a huge YouTube following. We've got people who watch, sit down and watch 10 minute, 15 minute videos. I love right? that. That is like the complete yeah. opposite of like, give me the TLDR and I want to move on. And so we think really deeply about, you know, the story, what we're trying to say, the medium, and then we look at audience feedback. Like if things aren't taking yep. off, is there a reason why? Do people just want to say like, they're like, give me a map. That's all I want. <laughs> or are people like, no, I want the full 800 word review about the restaurant. And I think what's great about our readers is often they want more than just one thing and they come to Eater because they know they'll get the map recommendations and the long form review and they can see, you know, what we consider to be the best new restaurants yeah. of the year. I think it's really fascinating going back to about doing the videos and stuff. I love how it's like you learn about the chef, even just where to get the, the ingredients from. It's really, really key. Like people really want to know that kind of stuff. It's beautifully shot, by the way, as well. When you I also think that if you're no doing problem. like a profile on a restaurant or a chef or anything, mm. there usually is enough content there to be distributed across different platforms for instance i just saw this thing on the youtube channel where there was a old hong kong style bakery that uh-huh. was in chicago and it was like the longest running one or something 
I yeah. can see how that is a great 10-15 minute video on YouTube. But at the same time, there are things within that where you can just clip it to make a, uh, I don't know, 30 second thing on Instagram, or you then you can convert that into a full article for the actual website. Right. Exactly. And we, you know, we're a media company. We're not trying to just like throw money around and like not use this smartly, right? So we yeah. very much, you know, when we spend resources on a story, we figure out, okay, we've got the 10 minute version on YouTube. What's the social cut? What's, you know, the eventual packaging on the website? And we think through these decisions. And what Ben was saying about kind of the interest in ingredients and vendors is actually a perfect example of looking at audience feedback and iterating from that. Um, so YouTube has incredible analytics where you can, you know, really see where people are clicking away from your video or if yeah. they're watching all the way and what sections people rewatch because people absolutely do rewatch just like oh. certain sections. Yeah. Um, and we saw us, you know, when we were doing our most well-known series, which is called Mise en Place and yes. goes behind awesome. the yeah. scene of fine dining restaurants, Definitely we saw an interest it. whenever you had ingredients on screen or a vendor showing up delivering an ingredient. Exactly. Like, Maybe yeah. this is a, another series idea. And that's how our series vendors came about. That's very oh. focused on like, you know, how the seafood is harvested and grown and gets to the restaurant or, you know, how Korean seaweed is harvested and all of that. Mm. And it, it's just interesting to see that our readers don't just care about the final product, but they also want to know how it got there. Right. I think it's really beautiful how it ties in like an ecosystem and like how many moving parts are so essential for making things happen. Yeah, this is like a, a side bit, but I had one guest at a restaurant I used to work at we ran out of salmon and then they got obsessed. Like, why can't you just go to Whole Foods right next door <laughs> and get me the salmon? I'm like, I, I thought he was joking. I was like, sir, we can't. That's not how businesses work. <laughs> and his wife is serious. I was like, oh my God, they're, they're being dead ass serious right now. I was like, we have other options. but You can't just go to Whole Foods and get the same quality. Yeah, I was like, I thought it was a good joke. I was like, oh, that's funny, man. That's great. I, I was laughing. And the guy's like, I think he got more offended because I don't think I don't think he You didn't take him seriously. I didn't take it seriously. I was like, oh, that's a good one, man. He was like, I'm being serious, bro. Give me seven from Hovis. I was like, all right, yo. So I guess videos like that can educate certain clientele like this. I do think people yes. like seeing the curtain being pulled. Yeah. I consume a lot of YouTube. <laughs> a lot of the stuff that I watch on YouTube is like behind the scenes stuff or the day in the life of an X and Y person or BTS, you know, this yeah. creative or something yes. like that. You know what's great about it too is when you're watching it, you really get to see the chefs, like the method, why they're doing it. And you get to actually see them preparing it. It's like, this is the day and day time where they have to do prep work, right? Like you're talking about the mise en place. Like you have to get it ready. And it's just a nice thing for people to hopefully understand and appreciate food more, which I think your platform does provide. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I, I don't know about you too, but I'm very easily influenced. So I'll watch, oh, you know, yeah. an old school Chinese bakery in Chicago and I'm like, I need that. I need to I need to go and eat that. And like <laughs> or like I'll like make reservations at a place oh. that we do a video at. And then yeah. obviously when I'm eating at that place, I'm like, Oh, I have so much more appreciation because I yeah. know that, you know, the chefs have been working on this recipe for like 72 hours and it wasn't just something that was slapped together. But right. I have a visual understanding of the process, which makes me appreciate it even more. Can I ask you a question? Given your status in the food scene, is it easy for you to get a reservation at places that normal human <laughs> beings like Ben and like, I yeah, struggle like, to get to? <laughs> Listen, I am just like everyone else. I set busy oh, reminders on the... my calendar. I what, what did I do? She, most has, she has a card. <laughs> she has a card. I, she, like a badge. 
um, was making a reservation for somewhere in Paris and like the reservations were available like some, some regular local time, but it was like, like 3 a.m. New York time. And I truly like set an alarm for 2.58 a.m. Woke oh up, my God. booked it, and then went back to sleep. The problem there is you don't have a Paris branch. Do you have a Paris branch yet? Of the company? We do no, not right? Have a Paris See, there you go. <laughs> if you did, if you did, someone on staff himself woke yeah. up at 3 a.m. for uh, you. Steph, I like how Steph pretty much, she pretty much did what you do on Black Friday. It's like, all right, I got to get to the store at four, <laughs> yeah. four in the morning, get a tent and a, and a nice lawn chair with like my thermos. <laughs> I mean, it helps when you get to stay in bed the whole time. But that I would is say, true. like, I appreciate that certain things are still democratic. And pulling a string is like literally the last thing I ever want to do unless it's like my mother's, I don't know, big birthday and it's the only thing she would ever want. Then like, okay, I might try and exhaust every resource to like get a thing that someone really wants. But yeah. generally speaking, like, you know, I'm not the type of person to be like, I'm so-and-so, get me a table. And I don't think that's the impression of eater editors and writers mm. that we want out there either. We, whenever we can, we book reservations like everyone else. We're incognito. We're not trying to use um. our authority in a way that might reflect badly on our expertise, frankly, because I do think the relationship changes if you are having every meal for free and, you know, you, yes. the money doesn't matter when you're dining out because yes. then you can't have an accurate evaluation of is something worth it and should a regular person be spending their money on it stephanie you painted it so perfectly because main thing about that is you're saying like i want to be treated like a normal guest because that way you know what's the real experience but when these foodies come internet foodies or let's say critics no like foodies now i'm not talking like I, I know like pete wells new york times like he's he's a critic yeah but people also know exactly what he looks like so when he walks through the <laughs> well, door uh, just, just fyi i'm putting him on blast but apparently we saw him recently he looks like the big lebowski now like that everyone has the same stock picture of the dude you know what i'm talking the, about like 20 year old picture yes <laughs> i'm like yo they don't update that and we saw him I was like oh my god you look like the big lebowski a lot of hair you said this dude no, hell no, bro. Oh. <laughs> no way, man. I said, you look good, bro. <laughs> that's what I told him. I was like, you look great. Um, but but that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't want it to be free because it matters how much, you know, you're spending for something because that's how you really know, is it worth getting this dish? Yeah, plus the treatment because you are exactly. bound to get better treatment. Yeah. You are bound to give someone that is going to have a very influential effect on your business much right. better treatment than you would like the average random person that's just coming there. Right. Not to say that you would give that average person bad service, but you would just give the other person much, much better. And then all of a sudden you have all the managers come by like, and then all the other tables are like, is that some kind of celebrity? What's going on there? And then it's like, no, they're just, they're a foodie. And so, you know, I love that you're just trying to keep it grounded because yeah. you want to give the most real unbiased experience as possible. Yeah. And I do think that's a, a journalist's approach, right? You want mm. to try and fly under the radar when you can, and you're never going to lie about who you are. Like if somebody said to me like, hey, do you work at Eater? Of course, I would say, yes, I do. I'm never going to lie and say I'm someone yeah. else. But I would, you know, much rather like, you know, they send one dish out of the kitchen because mm -hmm. they want to, you know, let me know that they know I'm there as opposed uh -huh. to like, this was free and here's like rounds and rounds of drinks and this and that. <laughs> it just is like, I feel like I personally appreciate the value of what yeah. goes into making a restaurant meal <laughs> and the front of house and the back of house. And if you're just giving everything away for free, then you're obviously <laughs> cutting into your own bottom line. And so 
if I'm going somewhere, it's because I am very ready and willing to pay for it. By the way, when you do go, and I, I noticed this, the restaurant I worked at experienced this, but we had this one guest by himself and he had a book out, a little notepad with a pen. And every time he was eating, you know, da, da, da. And we were thinking, is he a food critic? You know, but you don't know. But what happens is because psychologically now, oh, you, the word- You try to treat them better just, just, just in better. case. Just in case. Yes. And then like the manager's like, how is everything? How are you? Where are you from? Oh my God, I love your glasses. And then it turns out the guy's just doing his taxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's just doodling. You know, he's doing, he's doing Sudoku and stuff. Yeah. So it's great to hear that you would rather not get treated like that. I want to give a yeah. quick disclaimer to the listeners in the restaurant industry. If you see Ben and I, we will take all the free drinks. You know, yes. <laughs> we do not have the same mindset as Stephanie. Bring it here. on. Give us all the free drinks. <laughs> and we're going to be like, we're best friends with Stephanie. From here. <laughs> They're going to be like, who? <laughs> but no, I think that's kind of the, I don't know what you want to call it, double-edged sword of, of Yelp, yeah. right? Everyone's a yeah. critic. Yes. Everyone's got a voice. Everyone's got a platform. And it's up to us as consumers, as diners, as people who love food to decide on our own how much weight you want to give to a professionally written food review versus a Yelp review versus a TikTok review. And like, I'm the kind of person who will look at all of these things before I make a decision. But yes. certainly, I personally put more weight in one thing versus another because I take with a grain of salt, okay, you know, how did this person's experience come about? And just because everyone has a voice doesn't mean they're doing the responsible thing. With it. Mm. I think what separates you from the rest is that you try to paint it in a more like artful way instead of like when people do food content, it's it's like a dopamine rush, you know? It's like, oh, make it flashy, you know, like make it extravagant, make it as, you know, make it look crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to your point about kind of like the enjoyment of food, you know, when you work in food, I actually think the biggest impact that we don't really talk about has been Instagram and this need for people who don't work in food, right? To still want to document everything and have an opinion and say like, I went here, I ate this. And I'm very guilty of that. Even before I worked in food media, it's just like wanting to say that like, Hey, you know, I had this meal and here's how I felt about it. And so that Mm -hmm. to me felt like more work, (laughs) if it makes sense, than my actual job. And so these days I'm very much trying to say like, okay, I want to share with people what I love and, and I know that people, you know, follow my Instagram or whatever it is because they want to see where I'm eating. But if I am like in a food coma and need to go to bed after a meal, <laughs> I'm just going to go to bed. I'm not going to like go back and look at the menu and post like all 10 yeah, courses yeah. or whatever it is. <laughs> I follow your Instagram. Aside from having a, a very cute son, you do eat a lot of good looking food. Yeah. And I get very, very, very jealous sometimes. It's because the bad looking food doesn't get posted. <laughs> doesn't mean it's not delicious. But like, you know what's a good looking food versus a bad Aesthetically pleasing. Food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I'll get back to the basics just for a very quick second. Um, maybe not all the listeners actually know what the editor-in-chief does on a day-to-day basis. You don't just consume the most food. That's not how things work. Um, I will say this is maybe extra confusing because there is another Stephanie Wu out there who is a competitive eater. <gasps> and she's like my like no, she's my number one SEO competition. <laughs> <laughs> 
it is actually her job to eat the most, and it is oh, not my job oh, to eat the oh, most. I was thinking about like Joey Chestnut. I was thinking that this whole time. Like it is, uh, yeah. Oh, damn. Yo, just shout out to the other stuff, yo. The other Stephanie Wu. Yes. Um, but so my day to day does not involve you know eating as many hot dogs as possible at any given time because I would be very bad at that. Um, I would say the thing, the reason why I went into journalism. And the reason why I love it is, you know, maybe this is really boring, but the truth is every single day is different. And so one day I could be writing my newsletter or I might be working directly with a writer on a story or I might be doing like much more like corporate, like managing things like looking at our annual goals and setting priorities Mm. for the team, you know. So I think first and foremost, journalism is often portrayed as very glamorous in like movies and TV shows, right? Yeah. And like, that's maybe because the reality is that our days are very boring and most editors actually have desk jobs and are not like running around doing all the things. <laughs> yeah. um, so un- unfortunately, I have to like pull the curtain back a little bit here too and say yeah. 75% of my time, it is a desk job. And I'm, you know, thinking about everything from how our video is performing to what are some fun new concepts we might want to do on social mm. video. But you know, the fun part of a desk job, because there can be one, is that I work with a huge team of people who care so deeply about food yeah. as much as I do, if not more. And so there's never a boring day on Eater Slack. Like there's always something for us to talk about. I can't imagine what your Slack looks like. <laughs> Does it get confusing? Because you've got, what, 25-ish cities? Yeah. And then you have the YouTube channel and I probably countless social media things. Just the writing too. Yeah, like how do you deal with all that? Well, so luckily I, of course, have a team of direct reports under me who oversee each specific team. And and they're they're the, I would say, like, I guess, subject area experts, right? So my video lead, my executive producer is our video expert. He knows 3,000 times more about video than I ever would. And mm. if he's ever coming to me about something, it's because he wants the average video viewer's opinion and not because oh, okay. he wants me to weigh in on like lighting or color or pacing or anything like that. But yeah, like having a, a strong team of experts and really making sure that you are learning from the people who work for you is so important mm. to me. It should never just be that I say a thing and it goes like usually if yeah. I have to make a decision it's because I've already asked everyone else who I think is an expert and they weren't able to make decisions. So then I'm weighing in with what might be a different perspective. But I think the simplest way to think about the job of an editor in chief is that I spend part of my time managing people. And then I spend part of my time managing the journalism Um, That's not to say there isn't a lot of like administrative, corporate, other stuff in between. But those are my like two North Stars is I want to make sure my team knows what they're doing. They're happy. They're, you know, they have a mission in mind when they go out and eat or write or shoot video or whatever it is. And I want to make sure that our journalism, you know, has a clear goal and everyone knows what they're working toward, which I think the easiest way to sum up is like provide reader service as well as like entertain and delight. It's hard to imagine what the world would look like if there wasn't digital media services like either or things of that nature. Try to picture in your adult life or maybe even like... Oh my God, up- I got it right now. Do you remember TV Guide? Yes, I remember TV Those Guide. Those little books. Yes. There's going to be like a book. It's like Food Guide. 
Okay, in Fear in Queens. There that, probably were guides like that, I would say. Damn, I thought I had a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but they just, they get out of date easily, right? I think that's the thing is that in a place like New York, when I think my, actually was talking to my New York editor the other day, she was like, there are 23 restaurant openings this week. We can't cover all of them. That's wow. crazy. And nor should you. Like nobody needs to read 23 different opening stories. Soft food, yeah. <laughs> A side note, did you guys used to have a podcast? Did either used to have one? Yes. Um, the former editor-in-chief, Amanda Clute, who is our publisher and my boss, used to do a podcast called Eater's Digest with um, a video producer, Dan Janine. Oh, yeah. I swear I remember seeing long-form conversations from uh-huh. Eater somewhere because I've been consuming podcasts my entire life uh-huh. since they were called radio. <laughs> Without the <laughs> dial. By the way, my dad still to this day... He doesn't know what a podcast is. I'm like, I'm doing radio, Dad. Oh, okay, son. Have fun with your radio <laughs> radio show. I'm like, oh my god. It's okay. My mom has no idea what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she knows I'm the editor in chief of Eater, but it's like, what does Stephanie do every day? She's like, she wouldn't know. She's she's on she's in meetings all day, basically. <laughs> One thing I do want to touch on, and I'm very surprised when I found this out that you guys have never published an actual book before, but you've got a new thing coming up, right? Yes, that's right. Um, we just announced a book deal that we've been working on for quite some time. Um, we're work- working with a publisher called Abrams, which is known for its like beautiful coffee table books. So I'm mm. really excited for how these will look. But we're going to be publishing three cookbooks and four travel guides with them, oh, which lovely. really, again, combines my interest of food and travel. And so I'm thrilled yes. about that. And I think... You know, going into books is exciting because rarely do you see digital brands move toward print. It's usually the yeah. other way around. But I think Eater has made enough of a name for itself that if you see an Eater book at a bookstore, in an airport, on a Kindle, wherever you get your books, it, there will be <laughs> some level of interest in like, oh, I wonder what Eater has to say about X thing. And so we're excited for this. As digital first people, we're very aware that, you know, we were just talking about food guides. Travel guides get out of date very quickly. Yeah, and yeah, so true, yes. the one thing we really want to do is make sure that there are like QR codes and things in the books so that if oh. you are ever looking at something, you can also go straight to our site where, of course, will be the latest and most updated maps. And you can oh, kind smart. of say, okay, nice. there's like the essential iconic New York restaurants. But if I do this QR code, I can also see the latest and the greatest and like what's Damn. like the most up to date. Yo, stuff is living in 2030, bro. <laughs> I like that. The QR code, that's just blue, right? Pretty smart. That's like, I was like, yeah. Um, and you said, is there a tentative date or period when these books are going to launch? Yeah, the first one will come out next year. We're working hard on it. Fantastic. I want to touch base a little bit about your own personal heritage and as it relates to a lot of our listeners who are Asian American. Sometimes when people that are in the Asian American diaspora like Ben and I and the stuff that we cover yeah. and we look at someone like you, would you rather just be known as Stephanie Wu, editor-in-chief instead of, oh, Stephanie Wu, the first Asian editor-in-chief? Mm. Like, how do you take that? <laughs> you know, I really think that to me, it's one and the same just because being Asian American is and being Taiwanese American is so intrinsically tied to my identity that I could, you know, personally never separate it. Mm. And so to me, it's the same thing. And, you know, I've heard many times from others that it's great to be the first, but you never want to be the only. And that oh, is yeah. what I really kind of hold near and dear is, yes, I, I'm thrilled to be the first 
anything, but usually it's a, it's later than you would like. And yeah. in that sense, it's my goal to make sure I am not the only and that I'm doing everything I can to cultivate talent from, you know, other underrepresented groups in media, generally speaking, and that I'm paving the way for a second and a third and a fourth, whatever it yeah. might be, because that's so much more important to me than just being the first anything. I like that. I guess with the whole movement now with Asian cuisine and amazing Asian chefs and stuff, is there anything that like really stands out to you, look forward to that you think it's going to be in the future as well? Yeah, I think, and I don't know, I'll be frank, I don't know if this is because we live in New York City and it's, right. you know, again, a city that is very receptive to different cultures and cuisines and regional things. But what I'm really, really, really liking is this move toward restaurants that have a story to tell and diners being really receptive to what that story is. And it's not just mm. like, okay, you know, I'm making Southern Italian food and it's not just all pasta all the time, but we're actually yeah. like teaching you something about, you know, a, a very specific regional thing. But I, I just think that, you know, you're seeing restaurants like the Maka and Sema and they're like, the name of their group, in fact, is unapologetically Indian. And their whole goal is to showcase lesser known regional Indian food, mm -hmm. go beyond the butter chicken, go beyond the mm. biryani. And like, what is there that you can, where you can learn something throughout the course of your meal. And I think it's so fantastic that diners are more and more receptive, not just to dishes they haven't seen before, but the actual stories that the chefs want to tell. And I think we're moving away from, you know, what we used to think of as like a quote unquote Asian restaurant, which would have Chinese food, but also have pad thai and maybe some sushi on the menu. And it was like, you can get it's whatever like you want here. And more toward <laughs> chefs saying like, this is the type of food I either grew up with or I feel strongly about and I want to yeah. put out in the world. And I don't, you know, I'm less concerned with being considered authentic or whatever it might be. And I'm just mm. more concerned with telling my own story. Speaking of like telling your own story, being Taiwanese descent and stuff, do you feel like um, sometimes that plays a part in your role as being, you know, editor in chief in terms of like what you want? That's sometimes? a tough question because you know, like how Janet Yang, when she was nominated as the first Asian American president of the Academy of Motion okay, yeah. Pictures. I always get the name. Yeah, I, was just, the, I was just going to say Academy Awards. But. Oscars, whatever. Yeah. When she got nominated there, oh, you know, there were some right? whispers as to, oh, now she has an agenda of some sort, right. which is not necessarily the case. Do you ever feel like that? Like, does I, that play a part sometimes or people say? I think that I am, I'm open about my, obviously, identity. And I'm also yeah. open when I'm biased or I feel like I, you know, want to to raise something up because I love it so much. But I, yeah. I think I, it always comes to that caveat of like, oh, I'm Taiwanese American. So, you know, when I eat at a Taiwanese restaurant, I might know a little bit more than your average diner. But I think that being said, the part of my identity that I bring to my job on a daily basis when thinking about the storytelling and the news lens is really that I got into this job because I love the fact that I basically get to like learn things every day and like without sounding incredibly nerdy like i get to study a different thing and like get oh, really get deep into it and yeah, yeah. it's for work and i can learn something new every day and to me it doesn't matter if i'm learning more about someone else's culture if i'm learning about indian mm -hmm. american culture versus if i'm learning about taiwanese american culture because i i think there's so much more i can learn about Taiwanese identity too. And my Taiwanese identity is not the same as someone else's Taiwanese identity. Not. And so I will always want to learn more about 
other Taiwanese Americans who are kind of in the center stage and I'll always like cheerlead for that, but mm-hmm. also am aware that there's so much more for me to learn and for our readers to learn that's out yeah. there too. And that is just as important. Yeah, because sometimes there is no need to try to um force or try to exactly try to force something to go in a certain way like recently you put out this whole thing about the best fried chicken in america yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a, it was a very extensive very good article and i was glad to see that there was good mention of korean fried chicken of course Dang and gang. there's mention yeah. of like taiwanese <laughs> popcorn chicken there's like Yo. tons of different things and i'm sure that was not forced that just happens to be yeah what is considered good fried chicken in america in addition to the traditional exactly. types of fried chicken uh i'm getting hungry but i just gotta <laughs> ask for flushing there used to be a spot called, remember Corner 66 that served Taiwanese food? I got to know, I missed a Taiwanese pork chop dish. Stephanie, guys- this is a very, very specific question he's asking. <laughs> I know, I'm not, this is so not professional. Um, I need to know a place where I can get that again. It was the best pai gufan that we've ever had, the best pork oh, chop rice that we've ever God, had. We used to it. eat it as a kid. Me and people that <laughs> eat that have never been able to find a replacement can, of it. Can you make like a top go-to spot just for that one dish? Just for a pie fun. Yes, please. I definitely can't. I definitely don't know flushing as well as you guys do. But I will say <laughs> when I have that craving, which I obviously do, yeah. I go to Taiwan Pork Chop House in Chinatown in Manhattan. Wow. And I think they do a pretty good job. That's literally just... <laughs> That's just a translation of the actual dish. I mean, that's a, right there. SEO purposes, that's great because if you want Chinese pork chop and you search that, that place is going to pop up. It's like, yo, where do you want to get donuts? Uh, let me type in donuts store. <laughs> oh, yo, there's one. This place called donuts store. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that, I, that, sorry, I totally, <laughs> totally ran the, the momentum there for a second. Let me go. This back. is a tough question. Are there any dishes, restaurants, chefs <laughs> recently that's on your mind in terms of stuff that you've been wowed by? Mm. Huh. Yeah. Um, the one that's coming top of mind right now, and not just because we're on this, this podcast, but mm-hmm. it, it's called OEG Me. And okay. it is like a slightly fancier restaurant from the team behind OEG, which is a Korean restaurant in the East Village that just closed. Yeah. But so it's like a, it's like a course menu. So it's like four okay. courses and, and you get to pick each one. But some of the dishes were just so interesting to me. And I would say like, I'm no Korean food expert, but I think I know the flavors pretty well. And this to me was kind of flavors presented in a way that felt utterly Korean, but still, you know, incredibly creative and new and different. Mm. And so one of my favorite dishes from that night was this cold um, lobster chili ramyun which was like a tiny portion because it's like a tasting menu. But it was like perfectly chewy noodles and like the right temperature because like you can't just have, you know, cold noodles, right? It has to be like a little bit like room temp, but still feel soothing and cooling. And then just like meaty lobster and spice. And I was like, oh, this is like one of my top bites of the year, basically. Oh, really? (laughs) That's interesting because Korean cuisine doesn't really incorporate enough lobster. But I, I know you're talking about from Oiji. Yes, you're right yeah. about that. They do make some really nice... Um, it's like modern contemporary Korean cuisine. Have you had yeah. any good things recently, Ben? I had a Whopper Jr. at Burger King. And they did, and they put the bun perfectly on top of the meat. So yes, that's my... <laughs> recently, I went to <laughs> I went to Eric Sai's place, Wen Wen in uh, Brooklyn. Yeah. And I got that... Uh, I always butcher the letters. B-D-S-M chicken. Is that the right order of BDSM? it? BDSM? Yeah. 
that's why I was asking about the reservation thing. Because in order for me as a peasant to secure this chicken, which is limited to five chickens per oh, day, oh, you were telling me about this five orders per day. I had to make a reservation on the weekday, <laughs> on the Tuesday, and then I had to go there with my wife half an hour earlier. And then my wife sat in the nice warm car. I waited physically outside in front of the restaurant, and I was like. No one else is going to wait online. <laughs> you know? And then the door opens. I go in. And before I'm seated, I'm like, I'm really sorry to do this. Can you put in the order for the chicken for me right now? <laughs> Listen, I have done this. I obviously <laughs> have been to Wen Wen. Love it. One of my favorite new restaurants of the year. But this is a perfect example of sometimes you just can't pull a string. Because Eric and I are okay. friends. You know, we actually went to the same high school, even though we're, we're you know, several years uh, apart. Mm. And... When I made my reservation, I was like, okay, like, I really, you know, want to get the chicken. He's like, yeah. okay, but, you know, we can't, we don't reserve it. So just make sure you have an early reservation so you can get it. And I was like, okay, no problem. I got a 5.15 p.m. reservation. He's like, no, no, like, you need a 5 o'clock reservation. Like, go on Resi and change it if you wow. want the chicken. <laughs> wow. And I was like, yes, chef. Like, I'll do whatever. <laughs> yes, chef. <laughs> and, like, I, like, get to the restaurant at, like, 4.45, you know, like a good Asian who's like following rules and doing whatever they can to get that like coveted dish. And like, you know, Eric is in the restaurant. I'm like saying hi. And I'm like, can you put in my chicken order though? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, Yo, let's get to business. Yeah. Even when you're in charge of either, you have to jump through hoops just to get this chicken. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a fair democratic person. <laughs> I remember Linji, like, literally, he was talking to us in the group chat. He's like, yeah, I'm just waiting right now. Waiting he said, call. like, the pinpoint of his location. And we're like, are you really waiting? He's like, yep, that's me. <laughs> but it was worth it, right? It was good. But don't go with two people and order that chicken and then, like, three other dishes. Yeah. I can eat a lot of food, but that much? was way too much chicken. It was just too much. It was just too much chicken for me. The nice thing was we had a table next to us who came a couple minutes late and they tried to order and then they couldn't get there. So when oh, yeah. when I realized this was way too much chicken, I turned around and said, hey, do you guys want to take a couple pieces off my thing? Because I know wow. you want this. That's really nice of you. They were nice enough to buy us <laughs> dessert afterwards. Oh, nice. I like That's that. That's a nice so it's story. Like, it's like a little double date all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> like an impromptu double date. Let's get to our favorite segment of the whole podcast. Yep. We do this segment on every single episode where uh, Ben and I and the guests take... Oh, hold on a sec. I have to plug in the power. Uh-oh. Two seconds. Two seconds. Don't... You're, you're, you're afraid this is going to die and we're going to lose everything, aren't you? <laughs> I'm afraid too. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, a little, I'm like... I can't recreate this magic. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I can't recreate this magic. Oh, shoot. Okay, let's get on to right. our favorite segment of the whole podcast. <laughs> it's called Ranting and Raving. We do this on every single podcast. Me, Ben, and the guest take a couple of minutes just to rant or bitch or whatever to whatever, vent yeah. about something Say crappy in our lives. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start this off since we're in the... <gasps> no. Isn't that plugged in? Yo, that was crazy. I was like... <gasps> Okay. Um, <laughs> the suspense. What's he going to say? Yeah, that was too much suspense. Someone give uh, Jeff Gordon a call. Tell him I put the tires on, but I forgot to pump air into it. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot the nuts in there. I did 99.9% of my job. <laughs> All right. Uh, take three. And action. <laughs> Getting on to our favorite segment of the whole podcast for our third time, ranting and raving. <laughs> I originally had a uh, rant for this, but I'm going to rant about something new. The laptop? Laptop battery <laughs> technology. Why is it that we are in 2022, even expensive laptops have crappy battery? <laughs> That's my really quick mini rant that I had to top on. <laughs> my actual rant is, 
You, you ever been to a restaurant and it's time to get the check? Oh. I feel like I need to grab a giant white flag and just like wave it across. Like yes. That. It coincidentally is always, always when you want to get the check and leave. I just can't get their attention. It sounds like a rant about me. <laughs> <laughs> Other people that are in the industry are like, this freaking jackass is fucking spilling the beans and shit. But pretty much it's like, all right, we paid, the, uh, we put the check. Now we can afford more time to do other things in terms of like the other guests. Oh, so you know so, my table's finishing up and you... We know. We know. We're not We're not doing this. It's just they're like, we'll get to it when we can. So yeah, I apologize. We should all switch <laughs> to the Korean thing where they have a freaking button at your desk. I was thinking that. I was saying that like every restaurant should. How about you, Ben? You have anything to rant about? Um, so I'm left-handed. I have been writing the notes now because I have to like study a menu, whatever. But I forgot since I'm lefty... Us left-handed people tend to smear where we're writing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, because of the direction that we're taught. And I was just thinking about the episode of The Simpsons where, I don't know if you remember, Ned Flanders, I think, made a lefty store <laughs> in the mall. <laughs> so everything in the store was left, left-handed. <laughs> like, like there was like a left-handed scissor. Isn't it the same scissor? <laughs> it is. <laughs> no, it's backward, isn't it? My husband is left-handed. He has very strong feelings about this. Oh, <laughs> so... Because you know how like one hole is slightly smaller than the other and it's like just flipped. You can't and it doesn't you can't oh. just turn a scissor upside down. That's not how it works. <laughs> oh, you know what? It's because I never actually try to like motion with my right hand. Wait, so do you use a scissor with your left dominant hand? hand or your I still do it with my left with but the left hand? I just yeah, but it's because the blades are cutting the wrong way. Yes. Oh. Thank you, Chef. Yeah, Chef. <laughs> I was gonna say I will bring your story into food as well because my my husband is left-handed and it's his biggest pet peeve um when like he's sitting at a restaurant with someone and you know it's the wrong side and their left arm and right arm are like up against each other but we went to a restaurant once i wish i could remember where it was yeah where the wait staff noticed that he was left-handed and they moved (laughs) his utensils to the other side because they were like it's like the kind of meal where like you bring new utensils for every course or whatever and it was like he was so touched it was like they they noticed and they did yes. this for me because I'm left-handed and that's like the best service I've ever got. <laughs> so so sometimes I will do that because I don't know what it is, but when you're lefty, you notice it. You notice it for your diners. Yeah, like I notice who's left. I don't know why. It's just I pick up on it. I'm like, oh, you're left-handed, and I say too. Like it could be a complete stranger. Like you know, he's like reading a newspaper, flips it. I don't know, but oh, you're left-handed. And he's like, who the hell are you? Are you a Jehovah's <laughs> Witness? Like, and then he's just like freak out. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's it. Bye. You know, <laughs> that is a nice touch. Um, yeah, bring you to your story. Dining with a toddler means that like you never know when they're gonna explode. And so our new thing is when that last dish hits the table. We're like, bring the check whenever you want. Uh, <laughs> and so like, then you're like, you know, you're like, it's a ticking time bomb. And like, you've started the timer. So you get the check as soon as you can. And even if you're sitting there, they don't care, right? They know you still have food on your table. They don't. So then you get that check taken care of so that whenever you need to leave, you can just like stand up and go. And you don't have to do the like, hey, like, get me out of here. Kind I'm going to start breakdancing <laughs> to get their attention. But your point is true. Because my son is four years old right now and dining with my family before we had a kid versus life right now. Logistically, it is much more difficult. I feel like I'm going camping sometimes when I go to a restaurant. We don't give our kid a screen time like on the phone and stuff. So I'm literally bringing his toy chest in my book bag. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's true. You're right. You always bring stuff. And God forbid if it's a restaurant with a small table. oh. Oh, it's a mess. Like, I don't know what to do. 
And also, that is our worst nightmare when we uh, when um, kids? guests bring their kids. I'm That's like, your worst nightmare because I'm like, oh, this floor is destroyed. <laughs> it's just, I'm like, and I already have like a bad back. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be picking a lot of stuff up. This kid drops. Oh, I already know this. <laughs> On the flip side, that's why I love going out to a restaurant. I'm like, drop all the food you want. It's not my <laughs> no. house. I don't have to Roomba immediately. <laughs> that is true. We become your babysitters. <laughs> you parents, you you don't give a F about it. You're like, yo, I care. No, you don't. They <laughs> like, it's like, yo, your son just threw a whole bowl of edamame on the floor. Do you know that? Oh, isn't it? He's adorable, isn't he? I'm like, wow. Like, <laughs> okay, I wouldn't let my food wait. My son waste food like that because that's a no-no. <laughs> what Stephanie would do is she would tell her son, "Please eat the the peas, eat I the guess, peas, whatever. and then you can throw the whole yes. thing on the floor. Then, can go on the floor. Then yes. let Ben go pick it up with the whole staff. Yes, it's fine. <laughs> okay, it's my ours. mine is a rant and a rave. I will say. Nice. Um, so I'm going home to Taiwan for Christmas, taking nice. my son and my husband. And he is at an age where he will not like, you know, sit still like on, on me. He won't sit on me. And so are you talking about your husband or your son? (laughs) son. (laughs) I don't think my husband would sit still on me. That sounds really uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, so even though he is not two years old yet, we have decided that he will have his own seat for a 16 hour flight back to Taipei. And unfortunately, the airline does not allow you to book that because you have to put in a passenger's birth date when you're booking a ticket, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm putting in his birth date. I'm trying to buy him a seat. And they're like, oh, you know, he's under the age of two. You can't book him a seat. Huh. And so the only way to do this is to like book our own seats, call them, go through the whole customer service thing and say like, oh. this is what we're trying to do. And my husband is doing this because I was on a work trip. And he's like, the customer service representative doesn't understand why you would want to pay for a seat when you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. like, she has never been on a... <laughs> Guarantee she is not a parent. That Your husband was talking to me, I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Because I didn't know that. I didn't, all this you're saying, I'm like, oh, I, now I need to know when I have a kid. It's like, oh, crap. So did you get the problem? We got it resolved. He's going to have his own very fancy seat. Um, wow. And hopefully we'll sleep for part of the 16 hours so that I can sleep for part of the 16 hours. That's a long flight, yeah. But I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm obviously like dreading this very long flight now that he's like walking and active and like is mm-hmm. going to want to run up and down the aisles. But it will all be worth it because obviously we're going home where I will have many more pairs of hands helping out <laughs> and we will be able to eat Taiwanese food and my son will be able to have more Taiwanese food that he enjoys. And so it's That's all great. in the name of getting some Taiwanese breakfast and like eating mm what I think is the best food available. Um, and so that's like my light at the end of a tunnel is like a Taiwanese like soy milk crawler sandwich. Wow. Oh, yes. <laughs> Stephanie, great conversation. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun talking about everything. I am so glad to hear that um, you don't take all the free drinks when you go to a restaurant. I'll leave some for you guys. <laughs> that's all you care about. That, not the food, the drinks, this guy. If the listeners want to connect with everything you're doing or what the company's doing, where can they find you on the interwebs? Um, so you can follow me at by Steph Wu on both Instagram and Twitter. If Twitter is still around when this podcast comes shout out, out. to uh, <laughs> the goat Elon Musk. <laughs> Yo, that is a real question. In two three weeks, we don't know if that thing will be there. If it's there, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> Tentatively, TBD. <laughs> and you can follow Eater's national accounts 
at Eater or all of our city accounts. Very easy to find. Amazing, amazing. And stay tuned next year. They'll have the books coming out. Mm-hmm. And if you guys are ever looking to uh, relaunch that podcast, you have two volunteers right here. Amazing. Where we just eat and don't talk. Yeah, <laughs> we're just eating and not it's talking. It's basically mukbang ASMR yeah, so for like, like an hour. Eating those Taiwanese pork chops. You don't need eater to do that. You could just do that on your own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just eating now. That's all it's called. <laughs> not eater. It's just eating. eating. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys want to stay up to date with Ben and I on do on a daily basis, follow us on all the social medias at Worst Asian Pod, even on Twitter for now, apparently. Yes. Uh, free speech is a thing. <laughs> on behalf of Ben, Stephanie, catch you guys next week. See ya. Bye. Thank you.